This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers World Cup pod special. Our guest today, a manager in the midst of preparing to lead his side into Russia 2018, a tournament that at time of recording, sadly, still doesn't feature the United States of America. But his team, Iceland, oh, they will be there after becoming the smallest nation to ever qualify for a World Cup. Population, 334,000. UPS have more employees in America than there are Icelandic citizens. Today, we're going to pick up the story the morning after the night before, how my guest picked up the mantle after Euro 2016, recorded that difficult second album, led Iceland through a precarious qualifying group and is now preparing for the World Cup Crucible, which will see his team face Nigeria, Croatia and Lionel Messi's Argentina. No big deal. On the eve of his nation's historic first ever World Cup, we're delighted, really delighted, to welcome back to the pod my friend, the one and only manager of Iceland, Oh, Mr. Jaime Halgrimson. <laughs> well, come on. Thank you. Tak fyrir. Oh, what an introduction this was. I had to dial it back because your story to me is so remarkable, so strategic, so passionate at the same time. It's what football's all about. But I've got to ask you, do you know how many days it is as we sit here until Iceland kick off the World Cup from today? No, close to 50 probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm not news. sure. I got some good news <laughs> for you. Do I have more time? 83 days. We've got 83 <laughs> days. We've got 83 days to prepare until Iceland open up their World Cup against Argentina. First question, the big one, the hard-hitting one first. How are you sleeping right now? I sleep okay. Don't know. Maybe I'm just tired. That's why I sleep <laughs> okay. But sometimes, of course, you wake up in the middle of the night with an idea, so you have to write it down or talk to the iPhone and put the thoughts into paper or into the iPhone. This is a really Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. I've worked out. Eureka! How to shut him down? Yeah. I, I want to go back to when we last spoke. You came on the pod just after Iceland had charmed the world at Euro 16. Mm -hmm. You were picking up the yoke of World Cup qualification. You said this to me. You said. History tells us that it's difficult to go again after a big tournament. How hard did you find the qualification process? It was really tough. Firstly, because the opponents were strong. And we were really unlucky to be in the only group that had four teams that were in the Eurofinals. So strong teams in Ukraine, in Turkey, in Croatia, which were the favourites. And then us, we also were unlucky with Finland, who is on the rise. And Kosovo, who nobody knew anything about Kosovo. We didn't know what kind of players they would draft in. Scouting and, Albania. Yeah, yeah, they gained strength as the tournament went on. So they were really tough opponents from the lowest ranked teams. That was a little bit scary in the beginning. But we said this group is going to be tight. It's going to be down to margins or a simple error. And all the games we played was down to... Margins, yeah, it was one goal in either way. It was in the dying end. It was a set piece. Luckily, it was a little bit in our favour. Conceptually, how difficult was it because teams were now spending more time preparing for the tactical challenge you present? Your game was known. I mean, I, I adore watching you. You remind me of kind of Tim Cahill era Everton. Collective football, tenacious football. But there's now ample videotape evidence of the lethality of your direct game. It's out there. You're known. How hard was that for you? 
it was hard because some teams played differently against us, especially the lower-ranked teams. They dropped back, gave us possession of the ball, and we had to find a new strategy. And of course, we would have to surprise them in one way or another. So we had to develop as every game went on. And also because we lost our main striker in Corbin Sigthorsson, who was a starting player for the Euros, yeah. was playing out with Bri injury. Brilliant. Even though we lost our main scorer, we adapted. Also, how different was the internal culture of the squad? I mean, you, you just gone through a Cinderella experience. Feet leave the ground. Now there's a pressure of expectation. We talked a lot about it. We started to talk about it before the Eurofinals. It's a sentence we use a lot, that success is not a destination. And at the moment, success for Iceland is not Russia this summer. Success is the continuous journey to the right direction. It's hard when you have success not to get carried away. And that is why we have to be careful not to get carried away with the good success that we have had. We have a clear identity of how we want to play, how an Icelandic national team player should be, what qualities and values he should have. And we should stick to that. And I think that is something that not only me and the coaching staff or the FA, also the players, they know why we win football matches. And we had meetings with the players about what exactly is the most important thing for us to keep on developing our way of playing, our way of improving. You could bottle it and sell this secret. What is the secret? Everything about Iceland is about teamwork. And that is a must for us, that all the players understand that if we have one cheater or one luxury player, he would probably damage the team more than a guy who will fit into what we are doing. Does that conceptually, I mean, Aaron Gunnarsson, who I admire greatly, he tried to explain it last week and said it beautifully. He said, no one is too big for the team. Our biggest star is the one who works the hardest, which is a beautiful way of encapsulating it. But that's a theory. In practice, they all have agents. They all have endorsements. They all have opportunities commercially all over Iceland. You know, that's the kind of thing that pulls a team apart. That is why we maybe talk about other things than most coaches because that's the importance for us to sink everyone in, in what we are doing. Aaron is a perfect example. Every football coach in the world is looking for a player like Aaron. A Viking. Yeah, he's fighting for the team. He sacrifices himself for the benefit of the team. He doesn't care if the guy next to him gets the spotlight or the headlines. He's happy. And if you listen to the interviews from my players after the matches, they normally praise the guy next to them. They're not taking the headlines to themselves, even the players who is left out in the starting 11, they praise the players who keep them out. That is a team. When I interviewed Aaron Gunnarsson, he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, there is Viking blood that flows through my veins. And I smiled because I thought <laughs> he was joking. And then he said, I'm absolutely serious. And he is totally serious. Yeah, he is. It's what we need in America, more Viking blood. <laughs> in World Cup qualifying, you ended up finishing top of Group I. You defeated Turkey, Ukraine, Croatia along the way. You clinched a World Cup place October 9th with a 2-0 win over Kosovo at home in Reykjavik. You were lost for words that night when they put a camera in front of you. You were a reserved man, a modest man. But how did you let yourself celebrate that night? We went together downtown with the squad to meet the fans. Lovely time for us. But normally after games, we sit together, relax, have a good meal, me and my wife and some of the staff and family. And that is what we did there with the family of all the players. And after that, some of the players kept on with the fans. So, so it's just typical Icelandic. <laughs> <laughs> there was another difference this time around in terms of securing World Cup qualification. The Euro 16 fairy tale. you were joint manager with Lars Lagerbeck, mm -hmm. the great Swede, a shrewd tactician. You called him a mentor 
on our last show. What was the most important lesson that you learned this time, running the show on your own, like a band member going solo? I'm genuinely interested because a modern football manager so many things. Well, what did you discover is the most important role you need to play as an international manager? There's so many lessons that Lars taught me and all of us. Lessons that he left at the FA in Iceland. Priceless experience that we didn't have in Iceland. Sentences like, be ambitious, but don't be overambitious. Because when you have a national team, you get them together for two or three days and then you play a game. It's not like when you're a club coach. And I came from that environment. When you're a club coach, you can have a pre-season, you can have a whole year to develop your squad. When you're a national team coach, you have two or three days and you have to be really decisive on what you do these three days, what you talk about, what you're meeting about, what's the training about. So the players stay with the national team for a week and then maybe they play totally different style and totally different culture with their clubs for two or three months. But then we have to refresh the memories when they come back, keep on doing what we've been doing well and add slowly to it. So that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from Lars. Talking about proving a point to the world, which you have solo without Lars, but the media, they always present Iceland as such a feel-good story. You know, the smallness of the island, the giddy fans, the fact that you were a part-time dentist coach originally. Does that narrative get tiresome second time around? You're now number 18 in the world. Would you prefer to answer questions about football and not about molars? <laughs> yeah, I, I would like that. But to be honest, because it's only between you and me, yep. I think it's kind of in our favor that people don't know much about us. We just play with it. The uh, underestimating. As long as people think we are not as good as we are, it's good for us. So don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're a remarkably positive man. It's one of the things I love about uh, being around you. Icelanders are. Icelanders are remarkably positive men and women. What is your biggest concern ahead of this World Cup? Be honest. You're always worried about disappointing people. We're going on a big stage, just not in front of... Icelanders, but in front of the whole world. And that is always a concern that you will disappoint, especially the people that love us, that has gone everywhere with us and supported us. That's probably the biggest concern. If we show our values on the pitch, if we play according to the way we want to play, I think the Icelandic supporter will be happy with us, even though we lose the game. But if we have bad performances, that's probably the most worrying thing. Talking about worries, when the mighty Gilfi injured his leg playing for the beloved Everton against Brighton. <laughs> I'm interested in the range of emotions you go through. I mean, it was initially feared to be a disastrous injury. Tell us the story of how you experience it from your perspective. Where are you when it happens? How do you get your information? What goes through your head as you're processing it? I was watching the game. I was surprised that he kept on playing. And that is maybe the reason why it's a lengthy problem that he played, I think, 60 minutes with the injury. But I've learned that I can't do anything about injuries, to worry is unnecessary. Now we play without him and a lot of other players in this camp. And we are finding if Gilby is not playing, you start to think, how can we mix the team together so it won't affect us much. Does that not fill you with fear? I mean, you are a team of equals, but he is the central cog around which everyone else moves. We never want to talk about who is our star player. Americans love the name star player. They always want to have a star player. For me, Gilvi is like Aaron. He is our highest profile player, for sure. Playing, it's hard to say it with you because you're an Everton supporter, but he's playing probably the top team for the Icelandic players. Top team in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Gilvi, for me, is a role model in our values. Our highest profile player is our hardest working player. 
So who can be lazy if the highest profile player is the hardest working player? And he's also a leader on the pitch. He's not an outspoken man. He doesn't like interviews, but leading by example on the pitch, for me, that is his highest quality. One of your players plays on the Iceland of the Premier League, Burnley, Johan Berg Goodmanson. He's had a fantastic season, highlighted by his equaliser against Manchester City. Oh, as an international manager, when one of your players scores a big, big goal in a big game, do you feel excitement for the player? Or do you feel excitement for you? You're like, ha, ha, ha! Both, both. You always hope, what did you do it there? Why didn't you do it in the national game? <laughs> but I'm really happy for Johan because he took right decisions. He wanted to play. He played Charlton two seasons ago. <laughs> and to see him progress and play a big role in a premiership team is fantastic for him. Do you wish June would hurry up and get here as fast as possible? We have a lot of things to do before the World Cup. Picking 23 players will be tough for us because we played the same starting eleven for almost four years when Lars was with us and now we've rotated the squad a lot and you haven't seen it affect us much even though almost all the players in the starting eleven has missed a game in the World Cup group but it hasn't shown on us so we have managed to deepen the player pool but that makes also another problem so mm -hmm. now we have to pick and leave behind maybe five six seven players that have been with us so that would be the next Problem we'll be to searching solve. to see if they have American grandparents as soon as you leave them out. You kick off 16th of June in Moscow. No biggie. You're only playing Argentina. How terrified are you of Lionel Messi? Everybody is. And he has shown so many times that no matter what you do, if you put one player on him, two players on him, he will always find a way to hurt you. It's strange to say it. We've never been worried about one player. And especially in Argentina, if we focus too much on one player, they have the top scorer in Italy, they have top scorer in Spain, so they can hurt us in so many ways. If we focus too much on one player, the quality of the next players is that big that we cannot be thinking about one player. So normally when we've played Ronaldo or Zlatan or Robin, we've done it collectively together as everything we do and we try to help each other and closing him like all the other players in the World Cup. How do you replicate him in training? Do you get Ida Johnson to dig out his old Barcelona jersey and just say, you know, just kind of act messy like... I would do it if we could do a fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> of course, just watch videos and talk about tactical... Is there an element of praying? Yeah, element? some of us do more than others. But, uh, but there is an element of just it'll be what it'll be. Yeah, the statistics on Iceland in this game is probably not going to be high. But we've shown that we can play our best games against the best teams. We're just looking forward to it. This is first time for Iceland in a big stage like the World Cup. And to have the first game against former world champions, a team that normally does really well in the World Cup finals. So it's just a romantic thing. And we should enjoy it, not be afraid. How far do Iceland go in this World Cup? What is your realistic goal? To get out of the group? That's our goal, to get out of the group. And a good thing with being in a good group, like with Argentina, Croatia, Nigeria, if you manage to progress from the group, there's no opponent that we should fear after that. That is the good feeling of being in a strong group. Also because the points will spread out to all the four teams in the group. I think no team is going to win all the games. I don't think no team is going to lose all the games in the group. Again, it's going to be down to margins who will go through in this group, for sure. And in that situation, Icelanders, they do fancy their chances. What happens to you after the World Cup? Your contract runs out. Will you stay with Iceland or will you embark on other adventures? A lot of praise to the FA. It's not often that an Icelandic coach has this opportunity like I have and it's exposure like I have. And to be leading Iceland to the first World Cup finals is 
a huge honor for me. So I've said to the FA, I would like to see if there are any requests for the dentist after the World Cup, but they want to extend the contract. And I really love my job. It's one of the best jobs in the world to be the coach of Iceland because you both have the players with you. They stick together as one unit. You have the supporters behind you oh, all the time. And even the media, you have the media with you. Everybody's on the same team. And that is a fantastic job for any coach to be in this situation. When the World Cup is finished, I've been seven years with the national team. And it's a long time. Same meeting, same emphasis on training. So probably it could be good for Iceland to have a different voice. Sam Allardyce, get him, Iceland. <laughs> Give this man to Everton. And I know you're watching Everton. Get on it. The dentist, I love the way you call yourself the dentist. Before you became head coach of a World Cup team, as you say, you were famously a part-time dentist. How are the people on Vestman Islands, the tiny island you live on, how are they surviving if they don't have you as the dentist? They will survive. We've survived so many things. Volcanoes. Septic uh, molars. <laughs> Probably most of them are proud that I am there. So a connection to my club, which I owe a lot of things because they always give me Bigger and bigger responsibilities at the club. It's so true when you say that, because to close, when I knew you were coming on, I spoke to one of my great Icelandic mates, the sports journalist Thomas Tho Thorisson, and he told me this. He said, it was only 12 years ago that Jaime was coaching the under-12 team mm -hmm. at IBV. 12 years later, you're going to be walking out alongside Lionel Messi at the World Cup. Do you understand how inspirational your life story is to others in their jobs across America, for instance, who always dream of doing something bigger, greater? You're about to walk onto the world's greatest stage with the world's greatest player, Gulfi, and <laughs> another one, Lionel Messi. <laughs> Do you ever wake up and just be like, oh my God, even I can't believe it? Yeah, maybe when I reflect back in a couple of years, it's going to be strange. But everything has just come one after another. That's been my life. I coached youth teams for... 17 years, then I coached a women's team for five years, men's team for five years, and then the national team for now seven years. One thing has just led to another. I always felt really comfortable and I've enjoyed every step along the way. So I'm not thinking about, I like to be there or there. I'm enjoying the moment. It's strange when you have done a six years of university education, dentistry is a well-paid job. My passion was always coaching. So always coach alongside being a dentist. And when I had the opportunity to become full-time coach, I jumped on it, even though my mom said, what the f*** are you doing? <laughs> you know, you, I've paid your university years for six years and you can't be sacked tomorrow. She didn't say, what the f*** are you doing? But <laughs> yeah. she was unhappy she with the decision. She said it in Icelandic. <laughs> That's my passion and I mm -hmm. always enjoyed wherever I am. Follow your passion is the truth that comes out of your story. Yeah, there's a lesson behind it. Enjoy the moment and follow your passion. And don't listen to your mother. <laughs> Hi, mate. When you close your eyes and dream World Cup dreams, what do you dream about? What do you see? What's possible? Hopefully, we can be true to ourselves. We can have good performances. We don't have the best players in the world. But we are a really good team. And if we can play to our identity, if we can play with our hearts, if we can be hardworking and play organized, we can have a chance against everyone in the World Cup but we also have to be a little bit lucky. We know that even though Iceland has the best games of their lives, we can still lose against the likes of Germany or Argentina or Croatia. So we have to be a little bit lucky to reach our goals, which is to progress from our, our group. What does every player, every kid dream about when they are young and they are playing football? Lifting the trophy, that's a dream. 
That's a dream we all have. Not only me, everybody has it. That's the dream. Is it realistic? We will have to judge that later. We have a chance like anyone else. It's maybe slimmer in the betting companies. But that's everybody's dream. And you shouldn't be afraid of saying it. I'll just say, thousands of Americans will be cheering for you. Not just your team, not just your squad, but also for your story, which is, and I know you don't like to talk about it, it's incredibly inspirational to everybody who hears it. We just say, Afram Island. Afram Island.